0: Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Kandaki, which means Queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I? He said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture that the eunuch was reading. He was led like a lamb, like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture, And told him the good news about Jesus. As they travelled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. And the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and travelled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Thank you very much, Alex, for reading and praying for us. And uh, folks, it's a great privilege to open God's word with you. My name is Darren keep that passage open as we look at it. Um, now, I'll tell you a joke. Um, my friends who don't come to church love to tease me uh, that I'm a minister, uh, that I'm the Moxie. And uh, I heard a good joke this week. Um, one of my friends said, um, do you, they call me Rev. They have very low imagination. They say, Rev, do you believe in the four horsemen of the apocalypse? And I said, yes, I suppose I do. And they said, well, they're not coming anytime soon. And I said, well, why? Why is that? And he said, well, because it's illegal to gather in groups of four in public (laughs) in Hong Kong. And I said, well, that's very naughty. Uh, But why don't you come along to St. Andrew's and see what we really believe about uh, the end of the world and all those such things. And why am I telling you this? Well, this morning we're thinking about evangelism and conversion. And I find when when people um, tease me or make fun of me or our faith, I I don't need to be personally offended because I know it doesn't define me. What I try to do instead is I say, why don't you come and see for yourself, and see, is all of this credible, or is it all just make-believe? Make up your own mind. And uh, as we deal with this wonderful, extraordinary passage about conversion, um, I want to ask you, what is it that gets you excited about your Christian faith? What is it that gets the the engine going? What is it that gets the motor ticking? Um, uh, Perhaps it's a favorite hymn or your Christian community or acts of service. For me, I have to say, it really is the joy and the wonder of seeing people get converted to Christianity. Jesus says it's the only thing uh, that they throw a a party in heaven for when one sinner repents. When the, the light bulb comes on, when the penny drops when people's eyes are lifted over the fence and they see into eternity. It's a great privilege to lead Christianity Explored here at St. Andrews. And just that joy when you see a smile come across someone's face for the very first time as they have an encounter with someone they now know to be their risen Lord. It is a wonderful and joyful thing. Well, this passage is about such joy. It's about a sovereign God who loves to use his ordinary people And use his word in the work of conversion and evangelism. And we're in Acts chapter 8. You probably noted that. Uh, Where we are in the book is that Jesus has died. He's been resurrected. He's now ascended. The Spirit of God has descended. And he's left his disciples and friends with a wonderful promise that is now coming true. A promise that the word of God was going to start in Jerusalem. It was then going to go to Judea and Samaria. And then it was going to go to the very ends of the earth. And if there's one thing you can count on with Jesus, is that you can never stop his promises. They always come true. For we've seen how the gospel spread in Jerusalem with the Jews. Then last week we saw how it went to the half-Jews in Samaria. And now we see it going out to the ends of the earth as this Ethiopian man from North Africa is converted. And I think I could sum up the whole book of Acts by saying that it is the word of God about the Son of God raising a people of God for the glory of God. God's word going out to raise a people for his glory. I'm going to frame this joyful narrative in two parts, the human side of conversion and the divine side of conversion. And uh, I suppose this is a helpful passage. It's wonderfully instructive for us, for it tells us what tends to happen when someone is converted. Now, of course, God can do what he wants, that's his privilege. Um, but from Scripture and church history, my own experience, this I, I see there's certain components here that tend to happen when someone joins the church. We're introduced again to Philip. We've met him previously. Of course, you know he was appointed to be one of the administrators for the church's practical needs. He was a deacon, um, but he was also a preacher and an evangelist. We saw him at work last week in Samaria. But now, as our narrative picks up in verse 26, God, in a very special way, directs himself uh, on the desert road to a place called Gaza. And we see right from day one in the church, God using his ordinary people for his work of conversion to do their work of evangelism. Now, if I asked you to wave your hands and uh, asked you how many of you became Christians on your own, I suppose it would perhaps just be a very few of you. Um, I used to volunteer and work at the Seafarers Mission and Chaplaincy in Liverpool, and I did meet a sailor one time who was so bored on an oceanic crossing for three weeks, he found a New Testament, had read all of it, and thought he had been converted and wanted to know more. Uh, It turns out he had actually been converted, Um, but I suppose if I asked you how you personally came to faith, I would imagine one of two, two things had happened The first is that you were probably told about Jesus or the gospel when you were very young or someone when you were older. And secondly, someone was probably praying for you. God loves to use his people in in spreading the news about himself. And here we have Philip, who is faithful, and obedient disciple. He submits to, to God's instruction. But more importantly, he is an insider that is being sent out. He's someone on the inside who's going to the outside so that outsiders can be brought in. And I tell you, healthy churches are built of insiders who go to the outside to try to bring outsiders to the inside. Bit of a tongue twister. We're introduced to our other character, this gentleman. He's from Ethiopia. We're told he's a eunuch. We're told he's a treasurer for, for the Queen's treasury. He's an outsider who is brought in. Um, Alex helpfully showed us last week how Luke likes to write his gospel by giving statements or doctrines and then giving examples of them. We saw last week how Luke was explaining how the gospel was sent out through persecution. And we had an example of it, um, of, a, of, a, of a, a bad conversion, and now we have a contrast of a wonderful conversion. Last week, we had a fake convert called Simon, and now we see a true convert with this Ethiopian gentleman. Simon appeared very proud. This man appears very humble. Simon was non-Jewish, but this man wants to be Jewish. Simon is only seeking power, and this man is seeking answers as he seeks the God of Israel. Um, Simon was unchanged, but this man was wonderfully converted And we're told in verses 27 and 28 that uh, where he's from, Ethiopia, it's probably from modern day uh, Sudan. Um, But he traveled about a month to to be in Jerusalem. But tragically, because he was a eunuch, and I will spare you the slides on that one, he was prohibited from entering the inner courts of the temple. Deuteronomy 23, the Jewish law, tells us as much. Um, He would only have been prohibited to remain on the outside. And uh, to get to the inner courts, there would have been a huge sign. It would have said, no Gentiles, no eunuchs under penalty of death. I wonder how he would have felt. Have you ever felt what it's like to be on the outside of something? For here we have a significant man. He was well educated. He was probably wealthy. He's in charge of the treasury of the queen. And here he is on the outside of the temple, longing to find the God of Israel and I found an interesting play on the words. I think, it, I think it's in the text. Gaza is a play on the word of the word treasure. And I thought that was very interesting. For here we have a treasurer who goes down to a place called treasure. And he finds the greatest treasure of them all. But it also tells us about God. For this man was an Ethiopian. And it tells us that God is interested in the world. There is no discrimination when it comes to borders and the God of Israel. And now we are told that he is also a eunuch, which tells us that this God is a God of grace. And Philip, well, he travels probably about 100 kilometres. He was probably very fit. For those of you who are wondering how he did a Bible study, sprinting alongside a chariot, um, it was probably ox drawn, so it was probably a walking speed. Um, but this man, he is reading the scriptures aloud. Many people are unwilling to engage with God, unwilling to engage with the church of the scriptures, and yet some people are sincerely seeking and persevering. And I think it's a credit to this man, for of all the gods he could have pursued, the plethora of the Roman and Greek pantheon, all of the African gods that would have surrounded him and the neighboring tribes and countries, here he is on the journey of pilgrimage to find out about the God of Israel. And uh, Philip, well, he does what he's told. He sees an opportunity and he goes over to do some evangelism. And I know when I say that E word, many of us feel deeply intimidated. We feel an overboding and overwhelming sense of loneliness as we start to sweat and perspire. Many of us do and we we struggle and we're frightened to do evangelism. And I know for many of us at St. Andrews, many of our members I know are very clear on the gospel but you tell me that you just find you struggle to get started, you struggle to get going, when to speak, when to not speak. Um, And I think it would be wrong to take from this passage the only way to do evangelism is to wait around for a voice to tell us what to do. Um, No, instead, we are called as the church to be insiders, who go to the outside. And I don't want to make this an evangelism seminar, but just a couple of things that briefly that have really helped me do evangelism in the city is the first is I, I try to be a good person. I try to live out a good life and be a good citizen because we all know when we turn on the news, or the newspaper, and we see a Christian that has done a bad thing, is it is a discredit to them, their church, and their God. The second thing that I found helpful is I try to engage with people and I try to celebrate people. I try to be a good friend, listen to people, ask questions, celebrate their birthdays, go along to things when you're invited. And I find when I do those two things, I have opportunities for my life and faith to come up to the surface. I have opportunities uh, to share and opportunities what Rico Tice, the English evangelist, calls to get me to the pain line questions. So as I share, as I live a good life, as I'm um, celebrating people and they in, become interested in me, someone might say, well, Rev, what did you do on Sunday? And I might say, well, I went to church. They might say, well, why did you go to church? And I'll say, well, because I'm a reverend, it's my job. I might lose my job if I don't go. But most of us here, or you're not a professional clergy, so you have a decision to make. Enrico calls this the pain line question. Um, I have a chance to say something that will move the conversation forward with God or I have an opportunity to say nothing at all. And when we get to those pain line questions, we have to be very wise and very brave as we decide what to say. And you might have opportunities if someone says, why do you go to church? Well, you might say, well, you know what? Just God is so precious to me. When I think about what he's done, I, I wish I could share it with you. Or why don't you come along yourself and see our community and what we believe? We just, I want me and my family We think God is so, so wonderful. Because I know, and you know, it's very easy to talk about God in here. It's very nice in here. It is much more challenging to share our faith out there. But the New Testament is clear. We're not meant to live in two worlds between the spiritual and the secular. We're supposed to be insiders that are sent out. And we let our faith come to the service. And as we live good lives... As we take an interest in people, I believe we'll have more opportunities to share and invite and talk. And some of us, when we come to real crisis moments, to dark times in, in our communities' lives, you might even have the opportunity to be very brave and say to someone, would you like to see what the Bible says about this issue? Would you like to see what God says or thinks about this? And the great news is, if you invite someone to church or to read the Bible, you know what they might say? They might say, that's terribly weird. That sounds awful or terribly dull. you know what the good news is? You can keep being their friend because it doesn't define you. You get to keep on loving them and look for opportunities to share in the future. Um, And we, we need to be brave when we come to those pain lines. But the only reason we can do it, the only reason I'm confident to do evangelism, to share with my friends, to invite them, is because I believe that there is the divine side of conversion, that God is the one doing the work And God is the sovereign who is in control. Who's organized this whole event? God. Who set up the meeting? God. Who's told Philip to go to Gaza? God. Who's told Philip to go and talk to this man? God. What's this man reading? God's word. And it is a tremendous relief because it takes the pressure off. It it helps me because I think, well, I'm only the messenger. God is the one doing the work. As Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 6, we preach Christ. And God opens blind eyes. We look at God's word and God does the work of salvation. It's a wonderful joy and privilege to be part of it. And this man, well, he is privileged enough to have a Bible or, well, at least part of it. We know he definitely has a scroll of Isaiah 53. Perhaps he has bought it in Jerusalem. And if you know the Old Testament well, you will know that there is perhaps no better place to start in the Old Testament to tell you about the servant saviour, in Isaiah chapter 53, and he quotes it. He's reading it, and he asks for help. He reads this verse. He, uh, he says, he was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. And he says, hang on a minute. What's going on here? I don't understand uh, what's this about. Is, is the prophet speaking about himself? And he asks Philip to explain it to him. And Philip, rather wonderfully, as he opens up the scroll of Isaiah, verse 35, he began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. He told him it was about Jesus Christ. Philip went over, he got in the chariot, and he did the world's first ever one-to-one. You know what a one-to-one is? when you read the Bible, with one other person. I think it is a wonderful gift. It's a wonderful ministry. It's how I was converted when I was 18, when an American missionary opened John 14 and said, don't be troubled, trust in God, trust also in me. And I realized that Jesus was the only one I could truly trust, for he would never let me down. I think there are wonderful ideas to do one-to-one if you could read with one other person in your Bible study or growth group. Um, one statistic that blew me away was the British Evangelical Student Fellowship called UCCF. In, uh, they published data in 2012, 10 years ago, that that year they'd had more Christian converts than the previous 15 years put together. And I thought, that can't be true. That's, that's incredible data. How did that happen? And what they did, what they said, what they acknowledged, was they moved away from events-based events based and missions-based ministry, and they trained the students to do evangelism and read the Bible with one other person and be prepared to cross the pain line. And through that, they had a tremendous success, and God led a tremendous revival to his glory and to his name. So Philip has gone over, and he said, would you like to look at the Bible with me? Would you like me to explain it for you? And that man could have said no, and that's okay, because Philip wasn't going to be judged on that. It didn't define him. He could keep being this man's friend. But thankfully, something else happened. He opened Isaiah chapter 53, which is a wonderful passage to read with someone who is not yet a believer. For it tells us about God raising up a lamb, a lamb who is going to rescue the sheep that have gone astray. And Isaiah says, we, we are like the sheep that have got lost and we need rescuing. And Philip explained to him that this was about Jesus Christ he, Philip and the eunuch, uh, Philip definitely did know that the lambs would have been used in the temple uh, sacrifices for the atonement of the people. Except Philip knew, and we know, that no animal could ever pay the, the, the price of sin for another human being. And a lamb doesn't even know that it's going to be sacrificed. But Philip spoke of Jesus Christ, who was the Lamb of God, who knowingly and willingly went to the cross. And on the night before he died, he knelt down before his father and prayed that God would take it away. Nevertheless, he said, your will be done. And he went silently to the crucifixion and he, had, and he went to the cross so he could achieve salvation. He fixed it and he won it and he did it for all time. And you need only believe what Philip was explaining to the Ethiopian. He was saying, it's a bit like a game of chess. A game of chess where there's two opponents and after the first two moves, the one player, he pushes back from the table and he says, it's over, it's finished, it's won. And the other player, well, they're furious. They can't believe it. They say, no, uh, we've got the whole rest of the game to play out. And the winning player, he says, no. No matter what combinations of moves and plays that you make, the outcome is certain. And what, what Isaiah knew was prophesying what Philip explained, what Isaiah was talking about, that that Jesus on the cross, the battle is won, sin is paid for, the door of glory is open, and it is only a matter of time before sin and death and suffering are swallowed up. This is God's great communication, God's great work, his irresistible grace that is delivered through an ordinary servant and communicated through his word. Uh, The great Australian evangelist, John Chapman, he said that when God calls you on the telephone, don't put your head in the microwave. What I think he was saying is the normal way that God's going to call you will be through the scriptures. And uh, so we should not ignore them. We should pay great attention to them. And it's why we try to take such great care here at St. Andrews. And I know you've heard us say it a million times, but I hope every Christian member of this church Takes God God's word seriously and attends to it daily, for this will be the mark of strong Christians and strong churches. And if we don't attend to it, well, I I mean I just don't think we should set the standard any lower than that. It is vital to your and our church's spiritual health. And it's vitally important we have a biblical view of who God and who Jesus Christ is, because you might have noticed around the city. There are very different views on who Jesus is, and I would call them unbiblical views. The Ethiopian eunuch, that day, he learned that Jesus was the suffering servant who would go to die. He learnt that at the heart of Jesus' work was Jesus' work of the cross and the resurrection. And yet for so many Christians around the city, I am dismayed to see that Jesus has been reduced to a chauffeur, someone who's just to help them get from A to B, Or Jesus has just become, been reduced to their personal assistant to help them, to clean up after them. They're very busy, so Jesus just supports them. Or Jesus has just become the stimulant to help everyone have a good time and feel very pleased with themselves. And I hate to be cynical, I really do. But I've been thinking about this a lot this week, for I had two contrasting testimonies. I received a message uh, from a young member who is persevering uh, with the the terrible affliction of chemotherapy. And they wrote to me to tell me that they were using their time in chemotherapy to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with the other patients around them receiving the treatment. And I I was so humbled, I had to throw my head back to heaven and thank God for this person. And this was in contrast to a meeting I went to where we were told that the, that the, the modus operandi of this ministry would be not to share the gospel or the message of Jesus Christ with those they came into contact with out of respect for different views. And I thought my heart broke because I thought this is neither respectful to our Lord Jesus Christ and his work, and it is not respectful to those who are in danger of Jesus' judgment and hell. Uh, I found out two strongly contrasting ideas. We must make sure we have a biblical view of Jesus. And thankfully, well, this man, he does very joyfully. The light bulb comes on, the penny drops. He tells Philip to stop the chariot. What can stop me from being baptized? And they go down and they get it done. And we're told immediately after this, verse 39, they split up. He wasn't to see Peter again. He probably wasn't, or he wasn't to see Philip. He probably wasn't to see Jerusalem. But he goes away with the great gift of God. And you see there in verse 39, He goes away with great joy. There is great joy when Christians believe in Jesus Christ. When they enjoy him, when they know him, Jesus is supposed to be the object of our joy. Now, I know what you're thinking. You you, you come along, it, it doesn't look like most of you are enjoying this. I promise you, there are people at St. Andrews who enjoy Jesus. You might see one or two as you look around during the songs. But it is very concerning to me and the staff when we set enjoyment as the benchmark of our ministries that is separated from Jesus Christ himself. Because if Jesus is not our joy, we must manufacture it somewhere else. And it's easy to manufacture joy at churches if we have the right songs, with the right crescendos, the right sermon structures and jokes, different ministries. We can create a consumer um, environment and culture where it's very easy to feel joy and say, oh, "I enjoyed the service," or "I enjoyed the sermon." That happens very rarely, by the way. Um, but it's easy to to put these practices in place. Instead, it would be better to ask questions of the service or Bible reading, the sermons. Was this helpful? Was this help? Was this gr- did this help me understand God's grace? Did this help me push into Jesus more? Did this help me enjoy Jesus more? Because if our joy is separated from Jesus as Christians, well, everything else really is just secondary. But if your joy, like this man recognized as he went down to the river an outsider, as he came up an insider, this is the answer to Christian discontentment. This is the answer to anxiety. This is the answer um, to even to evangelism. For you will be able to do it because you know that God enjoys it and it pleases him this will be the answer to fighting sin because Jesus will be more beautiful to you than the temptation that sin presents to you. And this man, well, how did, how did he have this joy? What was it that gave him this great satisfaction and contentment? Well, we've been reading about Isaiah today and how it was explained to him. But Isaiah, a few chapters on, had a vision and a prophecy and a dream of another day that came true on this day in Acts chapter 8. In Isaiah 56, he wrote of eunuchs being welcomed in. He said, And let no eunuch complain. I am only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says, To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant. To them I give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name, that will endure forever. This is where his joy came from. Isaiah dreamt of the day when eunuchs and outsiders could come in. Here was a man who was a eunuch, a man barred from entering the center of the physical temple. And this day, the promise became true as he was welcomed into the kingdom of the people of God, Better than any physical temple. Here was a man who was looking for treasure. Here was a man who was looking for answers. And in it, in the scriptures, through the work of Philip, he found that he had a name far better than anyone engraved on a temple or a church, but a name that would last forever, for he knew that his home and his identity was in God's kingdom, and nothing could ever take that away. That is why there is rejoicing in heaven outsiders are welcomed in and you and I as insiders are called to go out in word and deed and to share this message and if you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking what's going on here well perhaps you're like the Ethiopian eunuch you are sincerely seeking for answers I would love to invite you to Christianity Explored on Wednesday night come and read the Bible with me and make up your mind for yourself but we conclude let me pray Father, thank you for the the wonder of this passage, the joy of salvation, and Father, thank you that you rejoice in heaven when, when sinners repent. Thank you. We pray that we could have the wonder of the Ethiopian as we seek you. Father, help us not to give up on our spiritual disciplines as we have heard, and Father, help us and give us courage like Philip to be obedient, to look for opportunities and wisdom not to throw our pearls to pigs, Father, but for sincere gospel opportunities where we may be able to invite or even open the scriptures. Help us, we pray, for we are so afraid, but we thank you for Jesus. And we thank you that our names are written in heaven forevermore. Amen.